The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. The practice of being seen is about understanding who you really are and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. This is Rebecca Wong, relationship therapist and founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, writer and storytelling coach for healers. And this is the practice of being seen. So today we're going to dive deep into something you just heard us mention in the introduction. We're going to talk about how stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. You know, in my work as a relationship therapist, so often my job is to hold people in their stories, help them see themselves and one another and help them heal those stories. And in my job as a storytelling coach, what I'm ultimately helping people do is build relationships. They come to me thinking they want to become better writers. They want to convey certain ideas, but really it's about helping them connect. And what we do together? Well, that's (laughs) a dance of shaping and reshaping and knowing that these conversations are going to be based on little stories from our own lives, but it's going to be about kind of figuring out our relationship with our own ideas, with one another, with all the people we work with and all the people we love. Which brings us right into this beautiful conversation that we've been having with each other for a while. And that's about the work of Daniel Siegel, Dr. Daniel Siegel, and his work with interpersonal neurobiology. He talks a lot about how stories are actually information and energy that are shared between people. And when we break this down and we start looking at it, intergenerationally, interpersonally, we're constantly being informed by story. Stories are how we take in information about the world. It's, it's our news. It's our social media. It's the bedtime stories we tell our kids and the goodnight kisses we give our spouses. And it's what we say to ourselves when we look in the mirror. Yeah. And kind of proof of that, you know, as a non-therapist, when Rebecca, when you shared Dan Siegel's work with me, at first it was like, it was trying to wade through a lot of terminology and things that I could see I took for granted as part of my everyday life, but just didn't have the vocabulary for it. It never really broken down and thought of in quite those terms. But ultimately what I took from his, his work are the stories he told. That's what enabled me to engage with his ideas at a much more visceral level than trying to memorize all these different terms and feeling like, wow, I guess I should have taken more psychology classes in college. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, t- you know, he talks so much about a triangle. Um, and I think those relation the, the way he talks about those relationships yeah. will help kind of give people a picture. You want me to go there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Dr. Siegel talks about this triangle and the triangle is between the mind, the brain, and the relationships that you have. The mind he defines as being kind of like your whole central nervous system. It's the way that information and energy gets passed through your body. The brain is how you process that information and energy that's being passed 
through your body. And your brain is not merely defined by the gray matter between your ears, but it also includes your heart and your stomach and other parts of your being. And then relationships, obviously, are the interpersonal passage of stories. They're they're the external part of this triangle. How do you get information into your body? I mean, if we think about it to some extent, food is even a relationship, right? You eat something and it becomes the information and energy, but you have to, where does it come from? Where do you get it? There's a whole story there too. So the external world is the relationship and the internal world is the mind and the brain and how that, that information and energy is passed through and digested. Mm. When Rebecca first shared this with me, it was right when I was kind of coming across my own triangle that informed a lot of my work. And, um, I got this from a storytelling professor actually. Um, but it's the way in which there's a triangular relationship between the storyteller, the audience and the story that's being told. And when we can start understanding the ways in which Dan Siegel's triangle and the storytelling triangle might fit together, but just in general, understanding we're constantly in a beautiful intermingled web of stories and relationships because it's, a, it's core to being human. It's super core. You know, sometimes, Marisa, when we talk, we talk a little bit about the roles of story keeper, storyteller, and story healer. Please note these things come in threes. <laughs> <laughs> Triangles. Um, <laughs> we all contain different aspects of these roles within us. Probably we contain all of them, all of us. And there's different times where we take on different roles. Do you want to talk a little bit about what these roles are? And then I'll dive in a little bit about how they affect our relationships. Yeah. So storyteller is something that I think some people may say, oh, well, that one's not really me. You know, I don't, I don't make stuff up. I, I'm, I deal in facts. I, I help people. I'm, I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm, I don't, you know, no. The fact of the matter is, is that stories, storytelling is part of our birthright. It's part of the way we communicate. And we're, in fact, trading in stories all the time with something that has a beginning, middle, and end. And by choosing which ones we're going to share. You think about coming home from work at night and you're speaking with your partner about your day. You're telling stories and you're choosing which ones to tell because they'll convey what information you need. Can I pause you here just because something came up for me as you were saying that you were talking about the beginning, the middle, and the end. And I think one of the most interesting aspects when we're in relationship is that we don't always know where we are in Mm. that process. That oftentimes we find ourselves in the messy middle and we think we need to know the whole story. We think it needs to feel more perfect. We need to have a container for it. And we can't have that container because we're still in the murk of it. And, you know, I think when there's that longing to say, I want to know where I am, it's Mm -hmm. that you want to be able to tune in at 44 minutes into the hour of an hour-long television show and know, oh, this is the part when they start to figure out who killed who or whatever it may be. Because those are the kind of stories we've been fed. We know what beginning, middles, and ends feel like. But here's the thing. We need to remember that for whoever conceived of that story first, whoever decided to tell that story, they didn't know at the beginning. They had to go through a messy middle of hoping they could figure out where the end was. 
And we don't get to see their mess. No. Not at all. We get to see their polished, finished product. The one that they choose to present to us, the one that they choose to tell us. And then those are the stories that we get to keep and maybe even get a little healed by. And it's a beautiful process, but it's something that we need to all be able to pull the veil back on and recognize that when we are living through our own version of the mess that's on screen, but either we won't get that Hollywood ending or we just don't know how we're going to get there. It's about remembering. Yeah. It's about remembering. It's about remembering, remembering that we're supposed to be in the mess, that it's supposed to feel murky. And so let's look on to the next one in our little trinity of storyteller, story keeper, and story healer. Story keeper. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned that briefly in the yeah. sense that you know we are all immersed in other people's stories when we tune into entertainment, when we think back to what we were taught as children, um, what may have been passed on through our lineage. Mm-hmm. We are keepers of stories. They become part of what's in our bones. They're, they live in our rituals. And those rituals could be as big as how we celebrate holidays or as small as how we wake up every day and how we go to sleep at night. And I think, you know, there's an element too, of course, that professionally, a lot of us keep stories for other people when we're listeners, when we consciously are engaged in that art of saying, tell me how you feel. Let me help you sort through that. That's the process of being the container, being able to offer that service to others so they can be the storyteller and we can be the receivers of story. Because in some way, let's get real. It's a whole lot easier to receive a story than to be the teller. Hmm. Well, I mean, from my own life, I will tell you that when I was a kid, it was just as easy for me to sit down and write a story as it was to read one. And now, is it easier for me to sit and listen or is it easier for me to tell you what I really think? Mm-hmm. And I know my, my work is, it has me sitting and listening to people and helping them make sense of their stories, but it's not necessarily what always comes most naturally to me because I know I'm a creator in my own right and it's a balance for me. Yeah. And so what, what I'm hearing as you're, as you're saying that is knowing what comes naturally, right? There's another story in there. We all have that story. I know one of the things that comes really naturally to me is, is keeping, is holding other people's stories, that that is something that is within my birthright, right? But I also know there's these other pieces that I'm also a really good healer of story. Mm-hmm. And you're also a really great teller of stories. And I've watched you sort of blossom into that. With coaching, with coaching. <laughs> You got the natural bones for it, sister. You got the natural bones. But let's, you, you just mentioned story healing. Yeah, I did. Let's go there. Let's go there. Mm. So, you know, I, when I think of story healing, and Marisa, I often think of you um, around this idea of story healing, because so much of what story healing is, is it's being able to tolerate that process of sitting with that messy, murky, icky middle and reshape it into something that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And reshaping it in a co-creative way. Yes. 
because even if that co-creation is with yourself, there's yeah. this, this ability to, to put yourself in different roles at different times, wear different hats. And it's also using those two different parts of your brain, yeah. right? To think about the side of you that is the emotional and feeling side and the side that's more analytical. Yeah. Because those two parts of you don't always play together so naturally. You live in one place versus the other place at different times. And there are times where you need to know when to dive into what. When you're writing what, what you call your self-focused first draft, there are often times just to go with the feeling side. And then when you're coming back to it and reshaping it and going through the healing process, you need more of that analytical side. And you know that I think this is only occurring to me for the first time right now. In so many ways, to be a story healer is to recognize yourself both as storyteller and a story keeper. So what you're talking about there is you're talking about being able to see yourself as a storyteller, to deem the story that you're telling worthy of listening to and then listening to and reflecting on your own story so that you can reshape it. I mean, that to me, it sounds like the practice of being seen. It really does. It really does. Mm. Because we know that with the practice of being seen, it sounds a little bit like it's about an outcome, right? That it's about being seen by the world or being seen by yourself. But first... You need to see yourself. Before you can put yourself out there, before other people can see you, you need to be able to see yourself. And there's another side of it too, right? You need to be able to see yourself in order to be able to listen to and receive and take in information from others and be able to differentiate what's yours and what's theirs. You need to be able to see what your filter is and understand why am I hearing that from that person come hit me in quite that way? Oh, how is my filter affecting this? What color are my sunglasses? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty big deal. It is. And, you know, I think there's another element. I, I, when we started talking about storytellers and some people have a hard time seeing themselves as that, I would have a feeling a lot of people would have a hard time seeing themselves as story healers or healers in general. That's it's a tough word. It's a beautiful word. It's a nurturing word. Some of us come to it very naturally. And it's just, again, part of that birthright, part of what we know of ourselves. But I think for others, it's, it's still a bit foreign. It isn't mm-hmm. something that we're able to really feel our way into. Yeah. I, I hear that. I hear the conflict with this idea of being our own story healers. Um. I think that this is also one of those places where when we're seeking transformation in our lives, that we end up getting to a place where we have to give ourselves that permission. And that permission really needs to come from within. And it may be permission to say, I've gotten as far as I can and I need to go ask for help. But it's... But it comes after just sitting with yourself and choosing to see what stories are in front of you and what that messy snare really looks like. Yeah. You know, this kind of feels a bit like another triad we have here with the idea of sense, birth, and hold. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? 
we're still kind of feeling our way a little bit into this triad. And I love it. I love this triad. When we think about what it is to sense, birth, and hold, we can sense a story, we can birth a story, we can hold a story, we can sense ourselves in our bodies, we can, well, I guess it's a little harder to birth ourselves, right? But, mm. but what if we change the word birth a little bit there into becoming? We can become ourselves, and we can hold ourselves. I guess in some ways that might be with... You know, the way this particular triad first came through was is a very um, basic metaphor of birthing as two mothers. I think we kind of were able to look at it through this particular lens and see the metaphor work in this way, in the sense that whether it's a child or whether it's an idea, there's that first sense of there's something here. Or a relationship. Gosh, I remember this time when I was on a ski lift and this man was sitting next to me and I got these butterflies in my belly. Major, major, major butterflies. He's my husband now. Mm, yeah. So whether it's the quickening of a baby, whether it's the <laughs> quickening of those feelings when you're sitting beside someone and you kind of say, this is something, whether it's platonic or romantic, it's that first sense. It's that sensing. It's that, it's that inner knowing. And then there's that, what becomes more of an outer knowing, right? There's that birthing. There, what, you know, there's, if we're talking about the birth of a child, it's very clear what's happening. If you're talking about a birth of a relationship, it may be that you're, you name your partnership. Maybe you get married. Maybe you just kind of go public with it and say, hey, you're my boyfriend. <laughs> and then... There's what happens after. There's the holding. And that may be a whole new beginning of a million messy middles. It's not the end of a story. No. It's the continuing living into the story and discovering what it means to hold your relationship, to hold a child, to hold an idea so that it can continue to begin the process again of leading you to sense and birth and hold new ideas. And it kind of continues to move outward. And just the idea of naming these three parts, this sensing, this birthing, this holding, that in and of itself becomes a container. Mm -hmm. It becomes this container for how to walk through life, develop a story, manage each day, walk through the messy middle of all the little moments in your relationships. How do you sit with the most challenging aspects of who you are, of seeing yourself and of your life and your relationships. I know for me, one of the hardest parts of, of being human is coming up against myself, mm. is seeing the shadows and the parts of myself that I don't really truly want to admit are always there. Mm. We all have those. They, I mean, they might be different. Mine might be different than yours but we all have those parts of ourselves. And when we don't notice them, when we don't sense them and allow them to birth and become something and hold them and nurture them, when we just sweep them under the rug, those are the things that get in the way of all of our relationships. So what I'm hearing you say in that is that there's a need for some security. There's a need to have some sort of structure that can hold us. And as we talk about all these different triangles, all these triads, think about the fact that you, know, you got a brand new beautiful camera for Christmas, right? What are you going to do when you want to take the family picture? You're going to put it on a tripod. 
because it's a really sturdy way to hold oh, something. A tripod, huh? A tripod. Oh, there's like three points, like a triangle. There a are. <laughs> and when you can recognize that, like the reason we use threes, it's, it's harmonious to the human brain, right? We've created our stories based off of so many little threes, whether it's the three little pigs or whether it's the star of David that Rebecca is right now sketching on a piece of paper, whether it's the father, son, and the Holy Spirit. We base, it, whether it's the triple goddess of, of Celtic mythology, we have based ourselves and rooted ourselves into that shape because it's a way to feel safe and secure, to find ourselves in relationships with the people around us, with our creator. You can, you can make this into so many different triangles because they're there for us already. And I'm getting so excited about this idea because this is exactly the purpose of story, right? When we think about the, the reason that us humans need story, that we crave story, that story is what connects us to one another, it's because it fills that void and it makes us, it helps us feel secure. Because it helps us create relationships with other people and, and with ourselves. So alone. Yeah. 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 I think this is a perfect example of how we hope these conversations work. Yeah. And we begin with thinking about how stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories. And we go on a pretty big odyssey that pulls in a lot of different ideas and a lot of different triangles. But ultimately, we're able to bring it back to saying what we want this to do is to help you figure out a way to sense and birth and hold your own stories, your own relationships, your own experience. Yeah. Because this is the beauty of the practice of being seen. This is a practice of seeing yourself and of allowing others to connect with you. And in doing that, it's about connecting with those people as well. These are all intermingled relationships that nothing just goes one way. No. It's always a reciprocal process. And we're so grateful to have you with us for this process. And thank you for tuning in today. Come back and join us again. For more great content, check out practiceofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Farris and produced at Kidneystone Studio.